welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Christine Mills. On the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast, I feature entrepreneurs while I discuss ways you can grow your business today. Step onto the veranda, get a cup of tea, get comfortable, and let's talk shop. Let's do this. Welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Christine Mills. Today, I'm excited to have Christiane LeMole of LeMole at Sea join me on the veranda today. Christiane is a designer, entrepreneur, investor, and best-selling author. She introduced LeMole at Sea, her newest luxury home furnishings brand, to the United States in 2020. Previously only available in Europe, the line is now online and in 180 designed retail boutiques in the U.S. and Canada, with an exclusive collection of anthropology. Prior to launching Lemoe Etsy, she founded several other successful brands in the home design space, including Dwell Studio, which was bought by Wayfair in 2013, The Inside, a direct-to-consumer technology-driven home furnishings brand, where she also served as CEO, and Cloth & Company, a wholesale made-on-demand home furnishings brand. She's also an active investor in the consumer tech sectors, with a focus on female founders, inclusivity, and diversity. A business expert and design historian, Christiane is a frequent contributor to publications such as Architectural Digest, House Beautiful, Wired, and the New York Times. She's the author of three books on Decorate, The Finer Things, and Frictionless. She is also the co-host and a judge on Ellen's Design Challenge on HETV and is a regular guest on MSNBC. Welcome to the show, Christiane. I mean, Christine, that was quite an introduction. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I was like, wow. We be- <laughs> well, before we begin, I was telling Christiane how this was a full circle moment for me. While I was preparing for this podcast, I remembered decorating my daughter's um, nursery with Dwell Studio furnishings and reading on Decorate, like when my daughter was like a couple years old. And I didn't tell you this as well. My daughter's middle name is Christiane. So like it was just like it, yeah it's I'm I'm like amazing what she's done and I'm so excited about this interview. I'm so excited. I mean you you've made me feel so um happy and it's also nice to sort of look back on your life sometimes. It's not something that, you know, we as moms or entrepreneurs or as business people often do. So thank yes. you for thank you for that. I mean talking about Dwell Studio fondly makes me really happy. Yeah, yeah, because I think you were the first, and I, I remember when I was, I mean, my daughter's 14 now, so I was pregnant 15 years ago. Back then, the nursery design items were like, you know, very teddy bear and comical, mm-hmm. and and you uh, pr- presented this modern, mid-century modern feel to nursery, and it resonated with me, you know, like consumers who are having children, I was like, this is what I want. I don't want the... Disney princesses. I want this. <laughs> and you, you hit it right on the nail. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was, it was, it was, it was, that was a great adventure. Yeah. So let's start from the beginning. I know you're Canadian and I just like to know a little bit about your background and your childhood. Yes. I was born in Ottawa, Canada, very intrepid travelers. So when people ask me what the biggest influence on my life in design, I guess because my parents took me all over the world. So they met in Paris and then married in Canada. But I started, they started traveling with me when I was four and my brother was two. 
Um, and we went to Europe and then we went, you know, Africa and all over the place. Uh, you know, I spent one Christmas on a rickety boat going down the Nile River. So oh my God. I think, yeah. So I think all of that exposure to people everywhere, to culture everywhere, to, you know, to, to just to see that growing up um, was probably the biggest influence on my life. And I think one of the outcomes of that is like, like I truly am fascinated by people everywhere. So, you know, I'll always be the person who wanders off and is, you know, hanging out with everybody, asking all kinds of questions because it's made me eternally curious. So I think that that's sort of the driving force behind what I do and what I design. That sounds amazing. I, I love that visual of celebrating your Christmas going down the Nile River. <laughs> Not many people could say that. <laughs> <laughs> No, my parents were intrepid. I mean, they took they took me to Cambodia um, in the late '90s when um, when the Khmer regime was still there, and we were you know held wow. up by gunpoint. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. They were you know. I remember being at Angkor Wat, and we were the only people there. Um, so they were they were really intrepid, which was you know has made me I think in some ways. Um, less risk averse, just because I'm 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 not scared in a lot of situations. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, yeah, when you yeah. think about it, with entrepreneurship, you can't be scared. And you know, for you to have been able to do all that you've done, there has to be a lot of curiosity there and brave bravery. Yeah, and I think at this point, it's all I know how to do. So there are times now when I get scared in much more than I used to when I was younger, um, you know, because I got a lot on the line. I've got two kids and I've got to get them to school and I've got to do all the right things. So it's interesting, but now it's all I know how to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So I, I know that you went to Parsons uh, school of design, an amazing school. And you, that's when you decided to start dwell studio. What was that yeah. process like for you? It was more mid-century modern, aesthetic um what was that the beginning years like for you well interestingly enough uh mid-century was a really big sort of philosophy in canada before it was in the united states so for example wallpaper magazine started by tyler brule was actually started in canada so i had i had all of those kind of design inputs before i came to parsons so i went to mm. parsons i studied fashion design and I spent a lot of time doing surface design, so textile design. Um, and I had a couple of great internships in New York. And then as I was graduating, I had another Canadian friend who, this is like my whole story is serendipity, by the way. But I had another Canadian friend whose uh, fiance had bought a, uh, a home furnishings company in New York called Portico. And he basically said, you know, I need some people to come in here and run this. And I thought to myself, well, that would be pretty interesting. And so I went to Portico, I tried a couple of my mid-century ideas, um, put them on the floor, and they resonated with consumers. So after a year, I said to myself, I'm just going to do this myself. <laughs> so I quit my job, and I started Dwell Studio. Wow. And yeah, the, the, the rest is sort of history. What I did, you know, I didn't know, I mean, at this point, I'm 22 years old. I didn't know you could raise money. To, and, and at that point, in the sort of trajectory of company development there weren't people you know there weren't venture you, you didn't hear about venture capital and people raising money to back into brands and things like that or certainly I didn't because I also didn't have a business background so I 
so I designed Dual Studio. And then what I did to grow the company is I did private label work for a whole bunch of other companies. So Crate and Barrel was one of my first clients, as was Walmart. So I did all this private label, and that fueled the, the growth of the brand. That's very smart. That makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, when you, you were doing that for a number of years and you used yeah. private label, but how was it for you to launch your own brand? Because eventually you were in Target and a lot of different stores. How long did that process take you? So, yeah, so we launched, we did private label and Dwell Studios simultaneously. Okay. Um, yeah. And so but got into Target after about seven years in business and then eventually sold to Wayfair in 2013. Okay. And who was your ideal consumer back then? I know you were in New York. Um, when you thought, when while you were building Dwell Studio, who was that consumer that was in your mind that you thought this will be the perfect uh, clientele for me? It was you, right? It's people who are <laughs> who are de- who are design who are design centric, right? And who wanted to think about their homes, you know, especially with the baby and kids thing. Like it occurred to it occurred to us that you know what, like people don't want to close the door on their baby's room because it's you know teddy bears and balloons. They really wanted to you know seamlessly flow through the house. So we we were really interested in like the, the sort of pared down modernist um, design centric customer. And it turned out they weren't just in New York, they were all over the country. And the most amazing thing to me was like, this is a book. And people would say, Oh, we love your product. We love your product. It's too expensive. And so that's what's one of the reasons why we decided to partner with Target. It's because we wanted to give everybody, you know, we love all of our customers and wanted to give everybody a piece of that aesthetic. And so we went into to to Target and did Dwell Studio for Target, which was a really great experience as well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, I know that you were able to experience something that a lot of businesses may not have been able to. You were able to sell your business to Wayfair. Yes. And I was listening to your book, Frictionless, which was is really good. I also enjoyed reading on decorating. Um, you were saying that you, you cannot write a book on how you started Dwell Studio and how to sell it because that whole model is outdated. Uh, right yes. now, you really have to make everything as frictionless as possible for the consumer, yes. and Wayfair was yes. the perfect company to sell it to. And I'm paraphrasing. Yes. Um, how has your experience been? I mean, you built your business from soup to nuts, and then you're able to sell it to Wayfair. Um, when someone's listening to you right now, they're like, well, I'll love to do that. What made you choose Wayfair? And what advice would you give to anyone out there who might think that might be the way for them to go? So I wouldn't say like, – I would say that I I had to sell my business, and I'll tell you why. Because I got to the fork in the road where in order for me to keep growing the business, I would have had to have raised money, right? And I looked at the business model at that point, which was, you know, we had a retail store. We were sending out catalogs. We were doing traditional retail. And what I realized um, is that traditional retail, I realized that this, you know, when we were looking at all these sort of possible scenarios, that traditional retail was changing way more quickly than I was comfortable for. And, and so what I, what I thought to myself is, okay, what is going to be the best outcome for the company, the employees, and where is the market going? And I spent a lot of time, so I spent, you know, I, I talked to all of the usual suspects, um, the large home companies in the country. And when I went to Wayfair and I saw what they were doing, I realized that this was going to be how home was sold. You know, whether, 
in, in some way, shape or form in sort of the biggest way. Um, and so that's why I decided to sell and not to raise money into um, a, a business model that wasn't going forward, if that makes any sense. So it was really, yeah. it was a strategic decision, right? Um, to do that versus raising money into a business model that I didn't think um, was going to succeed in the way that the e-commerce model was going to. And we're, we're seeing that, you know, e-commerce is having a tough time now post-pandemic because it doesn't have the kind of volume it did for two years, but it will come back. I mean, this is how we shop now. Um, and so I, I think that I was sort of aware of that even, even in 2014. And that was a lot of foresight when you think about it. Um, I don't think I'll ever go back to going to the malls. <laughs> and, you know, when I think back to it, like, why would I need to? I, I could buy everything online. I could go to so many different retailers at the comfort of my home. And for you to see that back in 2012, the changing of the guard and prepare yourself, that was really smart. And um, I find that sometimes businesses are afraid to let go of their baby um, because they like it for what it is, but not what it could be. And for you to be able to see that, I, I think that's a very important decision you made. I mean, very important. And, you know, it's interesting because we're in such a flux right now, right, of, you know, e-commerce is great, but does it work? You know, it, we've had all these supply chain issues. I mean, we've had these supply chain issues globally, but it's a, it's a really interesting thing. I think, you know, part of the reason I wrote Frictionless is because, um, especially as a mother um, and a business person, the, the time that e-commerce gives me back is so important to me. Like I value that more than anything else. And so, you know, I get to spend those, the time that I would have had to have been grocery shopping or buying kids birthday presents or somewhere doing something. I get to spend that quality time with my family now. And that we all learned, right? I mean, we all got that time back. And so asking us to part with that is going to be impossible now. It's just impossible. So yeah. it's a really, it's a really interesting, you know, profound human change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, as a serial entrepreneur, I mean, you have since started several companies. Um, and what process do you use when you're starting a company? Uh, because like, I know you, you're pretty much in the design space, but mm -hmm. a lot of them are, are digitally based and they're pretty much e-commerce companies. What gives you the inspiration for each of these companies? Well, it's interesting because Dwell Studio was sort of happened organically. And then I went to Wayfair and of course I like, I, it was like the university of e-commerce. So I learned so much. Um, and so while I was there, I sort of, the, the cloth and company that which later sort of morphed into the inside um, came to me and it was that, you know, consumers are buying all this stuff online there are ways using technology now um, to be able to get people custom furniture in ways, you know, using things like digital printing, using on-demand manufacturing, like all of the things that have changed um, technology that have changed um, the way we, you know, throughput um, in a factory floor and the way supply chain works. And so I wanted to use some of those um, innovations to, to start, to start uh, cloth and company, which was a B2B business which we later turned into the inside, which was a B2C business. Um, and I did that until the middle of the pandemic. And in the middle of the pandemic, I said to myself, I mean, what do you really love, Christiane? Because we all had to ask ourselves that. Like, because at some point, the, the idea that you could 
you know, get COVID and actually not recover was, was not crazy. You know, yeah. I mean, people were, people were dying all over the place. And so I, I sort of had to ask myself the existential question, like what was going to make me happy? And I really wanted to go back to a beautiful holistic design brand. So um, I stepped down as CEO in the middle of the pandemic and I launched Lumia IC. So tell me a little bit about uh, Lumia IC. Um, so it was the one part of my kind of design world that I didn't sell to Wayfair. I started in 2011 in Europe. Um, and then we just brought it back into the United States and made, you know, made New York its home again in 2020. Um, and it's really, you know, it's, it's really, it's really a, a, an extension of all of the things that I loved at Dwell Studio, but really thinking about what the future of design is going to be. So I wanted to, you know, I, I saw three or four years ago that the kind of European home, whether that's Scandinavian centric or gets its cues from Belgium or, you know, the way, the way those homes are put together was becoming a very important idea in the United States. So I figured I would just bring the brand back and, you know, sort of be the, the be on the forefront of the European home um, from New York and, and think about, you know, what that means visually. Uh, the sort of product market fit has been great. And how, comparing it to Dwell Studio and how you started, I know it's a very different brand and different model. How are you changing your approach this time, years later? Um, well, I'm using a lot of, I'm using technology um, in a lot of ways, which I, which I couldn't um, with Dwell Studio because it didn't exist. So, right. uh, you know, we're a dispersed team because, you know, most of the people that work for me are women and their moms. And they want the freedom of working from home and being able to pick their kids up from school and going back to work when it works for them. And that's okay with me because, um, you know, as long as people get their work done, when they do it is less important as long as, you know, we stay on track. So that's something that, you know, didn't really exist when I started Dwell Studio. Uh-huh. I mean, people went, went to offices, right? Um, and I, I don't know that we're ever going to go back to the work week the way it existed pre-pandemic. Um, because I think we've learned so much about what makes us happy as human beings and, you know, how we can be fulfilled in our life and work at the same time. And I think it's really important. Um, so, you know, so my team isn't, is, is dispersed. Um, we have lots of amazing uh, design and tech help all over the world. So the thing about starting a company now, which is very different than, um, you know, even 10 years ago, is that you can you can choose from a talent pool all over the place. So you can find the people you want to work with. And some of them are in New York for me, and some of them are in Poland, and some of them are in China. Um, and so it's, it's a really interesting um, kind of global uh, marketplace for jobs now, which I think is fascinating. So I work with people all over the place. I, you know, start early in the morning and finish late at night, depending on the time zone. But it allows, it allows me to build a business in a completely different way. So the headcount is different. You know, the amount of people I have to manage is different. Um, and that gives us a lot of flexibility. Um, you know, I can't speak to what it's going to look like in two years, but as a startup, um, we got to be very agile because, you know, we're, we're figuring this out as we go along, but we're also figuring it out as the market goes along, which is really interesting. Yeah. I, I think you're you're absolutely right with the work from home. It, it's very hard to go back, and every time you see these headlines of bosses trying to get people to come back to the office, and 
I'm like, that's going to be so hard. I, you know, you could be in multiple places at the same time through technology. Uh, before you have to go into office, you can't leave until 6, 7 o'clock. You may have missed your child coming home from school. You may have missed a dance recital. But now it's like you could just arrange your day according to what's going on in your schedule. And, I, and I, you're right. I don't think anyone wants to give that up. And I don't think anyone has to. I, yeah, I think, I think people are happier. The one caveat I would say, and I think about this a lot, is that, you know, if you're a young person coming out of college and you never get to experience that office camaraderie, I think it's tough. Like, I think, mm. you know, that we're, we're seeing the effects on the younger generation, you know, with respect to loneliness and all these things. And I think it's real. So what I try and do is, you know, for the people that are younger, um, hire them in New York so they can come into the studio a couple of days a week and be around other people um, and have the flexibility. But, you know, the, the, the moms that I have that, you know, moved outside of New York during the pandemic, I mean, it's fine for me if they do their work from wherever they can, because it's different life stages. And so I think we yes. have to, we have to, you know, I, I really want to protect these young people that are coming out of school um, because doing this, you know, having to find coffee shops where you can be around people, um, yeah. I think we've, we've got to be able to support them. So it's going to be an interesting look at, I mean, we ju- we're just coming out of the pandemic, really. Um, and so, you know, we're going to, there's going to be learnings from this for the next couple of years, I think, for sure. You definitely have a valid point because I've been in the workforce for 20 plus years. And some of my closest friends are people I've met at that beginning stage, like right out of college, and we're all working in the city. And they're still my good friends to this day. So you're right. Like, if they miss out on that camaraderie, building those lifelong relationships. Exactly. And I worry about them. You know, I I, I worry about them. I worry about, I worry about, you know, it's, it's, it's community and building those that infrastructure, especially when you're away from your family and things like that. So I think about it a lot. So I'm trying yeah. to figure out, you know, I, I think like the younger crew, I'm trying to hire in New York so they can be with each other and then let them, you know, let them um, start to be flexible as they get into life stages where it's helpful. Mm-hmm. I, that's a valid point. Something that I haven't seen raised and um, I'm happy that you're taking it upon yourself to make sure you're you're sensitive to that. Um, oh, yeah. I, I know I know you've built many brands. Um, what do you think is your secret sauce to scaling each brand to lead to success? Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I, 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 I think it's um, design. So I think it, you know, really important to, to, to be successful in a brand is to really, um, to really think about the customer and the product first. And so I think that that's the, the sort of driving force you know, we, we are, we try and bring value. We try and bring great design. We try and bring thoughtful, considered, you know, we try and reference all of the people who have influenced us, all of those things. I think it's being authentic. Um, I think it's a big part of it and scaling, you know, it's, it's a really interesting thing because what even, what even worked for the inside, you know, when we started in 2018, it's very different now. Um, so, for example, you know, back then, Facebook and, uh, you know, all of this, Google, all these advertising platforms started to get expensive. So, you know, you like I think the first guard of e-commerce companies were able to grow very quickly and scale very quickly because uh, it wasn't very expensive to advertise online. Now it's very expensive. And so what you have to do is 
figure out how to communicate your brand promise, um, you have to do it visually and you have to do it yourself unless, you know, you're raising tons of money to, to back into marketing. So what I try and do is do, do things that are beautiful, that resonate with people. Um, and that's not always easy and it's not the easiest way to scale. But I think these days, um, you know, creating a brand takes a long time. And that's what I think about too. You know, when I, we, we, we think about the, the sort of venture stories where, you know, you go from zero to a billion dollar valuation in three years and you're a unicorn. I mean, building, really building like long-term brands. Think about like the Hermeses and the Chanel's and, of the world. I mean, these, are, these brands are hundred, hundreds of years old. And I think uh, you have to give yourself time to build a really thoughtful brand. So I also don't try and run. Um, because I don't think that that works, you know? So I think it's, 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 it's really being um, cognizant of the consumer, but thinking long-term. I love that. I think that um, that time period of like, you're right, the unicorns where, you know, you're reading fast company. I built this company and I sold it for a billion dollars after eight years, or I, I sold on e-commerce and I just put out some Facebook ads and now I'm making hundreds of thousands of dollars it's a different model now, um, and it, you really have to, you're you're 100 percent correct. Yep. Yeah, and you really have to do things that you really love and you're passionate about, and that also that you could go the long haul. And yep. um, I love the fact that you always say you're a designer first. You're an artist, and um, yep. and this this world, especially in educational, like in schools, they're really pushing STEM, 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 but you're showing. Um, that it is possible to be an artist and still make a good living. <laughs> and I, I mm-hmm. think that we need to see more of those uh, conversations in schools um, to show all these people like yourself who have successful careers that are creative. Um, and, and I like that you are true to yourself when you say, you know, above all, I'm an artist and I, and I create beautiful things for people to like. So I, I like that a lot. Well, I'd also say, like, you know, think about the way we communicate now. We communicate largely um, over the Internet, and we communicate largely visually, right? And even the metaverse, like all of these things that are coming down the pipeline are visual. Um, they are, they are they, they're driven by all of those, those senses. And so, you know, I think what's really interesting is the, the jobs that our kids will want probably don't even exist today. So think about like mm-hmm. social media coordinator that didn't exist five years ago. Um, no. And I think there's going to be a whole world that it is art and science. So I talk about this a lot because I'm obsessed with, um, I just did my first NFT exhibition in Paris. I'm obsessed with um, the sort of future of technology and art. And I think that the most successful companies in all of these future spaces are going to combine art and science. So I think what you're saying is correct. I mean, it's not just STEM, it's STEM plus the ability to, you know, creatively problem solve and think about what things look like or how people experience them. I think that's going to be a very big part of uh, the future of, of, you know, the way people do things. Yeah. And I, I just don't feel like the school system has caught on to that because, you know, when you think about Instagram, most people follow things that vis- that's visually appealing to them. Pinterest yep. is the same thing. 
So that leads me to the next point. You know, I am an HETV obsessed person. Um, my dad was a furniture designer and business owner for many years, so I've always read Architectural Digest. But I know I'm not the norm for reading it like 20, 30 years ago. But most people right now, they're like design-centric media sources everywhere, HETV, yep. um, you know, Instagram, Pinterest. How do you plan to um, saturate that market um, with people who believe that they could do it themselves with your business? Um, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the thing about all of those platforms is you just have to create things that are authentic and beautiful, right? And, and if something resonates with people, they will share it. They will be interested. Um, and, and I think, I, I, I think that's the, I think you're correct. That's the way we communicate these days. So, you know, I, I, this is the way stories get told. They get told on social media right now. And, you know, the most interesting thing is that uh, what's going to TikTok is actually going to be the most um, influential of all of these platforms. So in short form video like that, how are we going to tell, you know, home stories? And I see them. I see people doing it. And it's really interesting to me. And, I, you know, I don't see these types of platforms going anywhere. It's just going to be interesting to see how we how we use them to design our own spaces. Yeah. Yeah, that that's definitely true. And uh, for people who still have their head in the sand, like I'm going to keep doing business my way, they're going to get left behind going back to your frictionless. You have to be yep. able to make it as frictionless as possible uh, for your end consumer. I think that's correct. And I also think you've got to go meet them where they are, right? And so some of them are on Pinterest. Some of them are on Instagram. Some of them are on Facebook. Some of them are on TikTok. And the problem is, is that, you know, as a, as a new business, even for me, it's overwhelming the amount mm. of content that, you know, we're expected to create in order to grow our businesses. I think that is one of the biggest challenges of the current um, business climate. It's that you have to, you have to sell yourself. It's not like you can buy advertising anymore that does this, right? You have to create authentic um, consumable content that people want to see in order to grow your brand. And that's tough. Yeah. And that more likely requires a team because you can't come up with all the ideas. And when you're starting out from scratch, um, you might not be able to have a team at first. Of course. Yeah. It's, it, it requires a team. And also, you know, it, 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 sometimes it requires you putting yourself out there. So, you know, I'm being told all the time, you know, Christiane, you've got to go on, you've got to go on TikTok. And, you know, I'm shy. Like, I, I, I there's a lot of things I can do. I, you know, I don't know that I want to be a, 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 a like a, a, an influencer personality. You know, there's a lot of people who are great at it, who love doing that. I mean, that's just less interesting to me, but it might be part of the recipe for business success. So I'll <laughs> test it out. But it's really interesting. It you know. is. I I was I, I don't know if you've heard of the product Loom. Yes. Yeah. And I was at home and I watched her commercial and um I was amazed at her commercial because it was very personal and very informal. It's like, Hi, I'm an OBGYN and I started this product and that was a commercial. And you're right, people want to see the person behind it. And I think that's what moves the dial more than anything else and it's the hardest thing to do especially if you're an introvert and especially if you just want to kind of 
build your business from the background, but people want to see you. I think they do. Yeah. You know, I think, I think that's part of it. So I think, you know, when you think about creating a business today, you have to think about the sort of 360 degrees, all the facets of what will make it successful. And, you know, I, I, I think putting yourself out there, unfortunately, may or may not be like a requisite. We'll see. Yeah. So I, I know that you have a forthcoming book. Uh, yes. I'm, so I'm, I'm writing sort of the next installment of The Finer Things. I'm writing basically like that, an encyclopedia of important furniture design. And it's been really uh, fun. Yeah. When can I look out so that, for it? In 2023. So I'm working on it okay. right now. Okay. And um, what should we look out for in that? It's going to be an encyclopedia of furniture design. So what's your favorite kind of, part so far of the book? Um, you know, I just lo- I love understanding sort of the, the, the continuum of design. So how something in the 20s, you know, inform something in the 70s like it's pretty amazing we design is the sort of the 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 river that runs through all of it and we take cues from history you know year after year after year and so I think about that a lot as I design because I always go back and you know into the books and into the museums and really try and and sort of acknowledge the continuum of design but it's pretty amazing to me um, how really amazing original ideas have the just stand the test of time um yeah and i i always say like i love going to antique stores and when you think about it like chippendale for instance um or windsor chair that yeah, design amazing. is still going through <laughs> like people are still it's, using that design i write about the windsor chair in my book because you are 100 percent correct right that's one of these things that chair and then michael tonay did that the first bentwood um, cafe chair in like the 1890s. I mean, these chairs are still in production, both of them. Um, yeah. And that's because they are, they, they are iconic and stand the test of time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really excited about that book. Um, so I will be um, there to buy a copy next year. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So if, if someone's listening to this podcast and you're like, you know what, this is me. I want to be in this space, but I don't know where to begin. I love home design. I want to kind of figure out how to start a business in that space. What are some, I mean, I mean you've given a lot of advice this podcast, but what are, what is some additional advice you could provide to them? I mean, I would say, you know, figure out, um, figure out what part of the business inspires you, what makes you happy. So if it's interior design or product design or uh, textile design or whatever, whatever it is, and then, Go get some experience in that area and then think about starting a business. Um, because the great thing is I learned from other people's triumphs and mistakes. And that was really helpful to me when I went out to start my own business. Yeah. And how can customers learn more about your business? They can go onto my website at lemieac.com. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Now we're on to our rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I love a rapid-fire question. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. All right. Favorite vacation? Oh, my favorite vacation is going to a city I've never been to, and the museums, the galleries, the flea markets, the restaurants, the, and learning. That's my favorite vacation. I would love to say it was on a beach, but really there's nothing that inspires me more than seeing and learning. Yeah. A favorite design era? Uh, probably French 40s. Uh, favorite design book? 
my favorite design book. Wow. I mean, there's, I've got so many, but right now I am deep into um, what Axel Reward is doing. Um, I just, I'm, I'm really interested in the, his uh, mix of antiques, like really profound knowledge of antiques, um, art, and then how he curates that into his interiors. Nice. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's a home without an antique that works. I think you need at least one. Something that will add a kind of interest in the space. Um, oh, I think you're, I think that's a hundred percent correct. And I think, you know, I think that the most beautiful spaces somehow figure out that layered balance. Yeah. Yeah. A favorite art medium. My favorite art medium is probably abstract painting. Oh, I love those. Yeah. And favorite show that you're currently watching? Favorite show that I'm currently watching. Well, I don't, so I, I will tell you that I don't watch a lot of TV um, because I, I, you know, I've got two kids and it's just it never stops. But yeah. I started watching, I started watching um, uh, Gaslight with Julia Roberts and Sean Penn about the Nixon era. And it was fascinating. I love oh, I love anything that has that's got history in it as well. <laughs> I just have like to sure learn you, all the time. And I'm sure you get design inspiration as well just by watching history, um, like historic oh, yeah. fiction. Yeah, and think, yeah, because all of the like all the set design is so so. This one's pretty immaculate, and they have this amazing '60s apartment in oh. uh, in Washington, which is part of the reason you know the show was so appealing to me. You're right. It's it's always the, the 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 shows that have really thoughtful set design, especially when it's historical. And that's how I felt about Mad Men. I, I just I, I love the writing, but I also just love looking at how they dress in the set design. Oh, but it was, it was flawless, great. right? Talk about some it great was, apartments. In, in oh my set. gosh, yeah. it was amazing. Yeah. 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 And um, last question: If you could spend an afternoon on a veranda with anyone, living or deceased, who would it be, and why? I mean, in keeping with the design story, it would have to be for me Le Corbusier. And um, because he's the most fascinating person, he influenced so much of the last century, you know, in every country from Chandigarh, India to Brasilia in Brazil. I mean, he, he was everywhere. And everything he did was unbelievably influential. Plus, he, was sort of a, he sort of lived a huge life. Um, and you know, I, I just think it would be so fascinating to talk to him about how he drew all of his inspiration and then created the things he created. I also think he seems like a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me on the veranda. Uh, this is definitely like a full circle moment and, um, I'm so excited about what you're working on and I'm looking forward to reading your book next year. And um, so, yeah, uh, or do you have any last things that you want to add? No, I mean, thank you, Christine. You sort of made my day, month, week, year doing <laughs> t- talking to me about Dwell Studio. It was really nice to, you know, thoughtfully revisit the past with you. So thank you for that. All right. Well, have a great 